you come to understand that the only real joy is living on the rock of love given and received, which does not change. But this is much deeper than just, well, how do I find that place when I'm living through those emotions? It's a deeper, a deeper journey than just how do I get out of my pain. The journey is not a negative, how do I get out of my pain? The journey is a positive, how do I find the meaning of my life? Coming up, learn how to deal with change spiritually with best-selling author Marianne Williamson. Next on Change Nation from First30Days.com. You've heard it before, life is about change. And at certain points of our lives, we may be experiencing a lot more change than in others. No one knows this better than Marianne Williamson. She's devoted her career to help people embrace their spirituality through some of these moments of change and transition. Her latest book, The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife, continues this theme to help people embrace their midlife instead of dreading it. She's also the host of A Course in Miracles on the Oprah and Friends radio network and the author of several New York Times bestsellers, including The Gift of Change. Today on Change Nation, Marianne joins me to talk about how people can reframe the challenges they're presented in life to make change easier. Marianne, thanks for being one of my teachers and for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Marianne, why is it that we're we're just so bad at change. We're bad at transitions. We're bad at what seems to be the number one constant in life. We are trained to identify with the externals of life. We are trained to think that we are bodies rather than spirits. We are trained to think that we are separate from each other, and we are trained to think that whatever external structures define us also source our good. So if you think that your job is the source of your good, then it scares you if your job changes. If you think your relationship is the source of your good, then you are scared if your relationship changes. If you think that your body is the source of your good, then it scares you when your body changes. It's only when we come to recognize that our true identity is bigger than any of our externals, that there is an internal, unchangeable reality that is not only the fundamental truth of who we are, but also the actual source of our good, do we begin to relax our hold, our mental and attitudinal hold on those things which we think we need, but which in fact are bound to go away. Change brings up all sorts of difficult emotions, whether it's fear, we blame, anger, we doubt. How does someone cope with some of those feelings that are naturally going to show up? Do we let them move through us? Do we try and replace them with something else? Well, once again, until we rethink the meaning of our whole existence and have a chance to reframe those emotions, then the emotions will be like monsters that never really go away. You can let them move through you, and of course you must. But until you take a deeper, more fundamental look at where they come from, they'll still be back. Life changes. Uh, the seasons change. Uh, a river changes. The cloud patterns change. Embryos become babies. Babies become toddlers. Toddlers become children. Children become adolescents. Adolescents become adults. Nothing stands still in nature. It never has, and it's never going to. So if you think you can stop that pattern, then you are trying, in a way, to play God. And that is really the meaning of idolatry. 
You are looking at something in the physical world and saying, that's it, that's it, I'm okay if it's that way. And then, But all idols are bound to crash because everything will change. There are absolutely no guarantees in the physical world. There never have been and there never will be. So until you grapple with that essential truth, then those scary emotions will always be just just a... Uh, just, uh, uh, you know, will always be there. They might be held at bay, but they will always be there. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you, have a, when you have a splinter. You have two choices. You can either do what it takes and have that sharp pain of taking it out or live with the dull ache of keeping it in. So it is, it is scary at first to realize, oh, my God, there is nothing in the external world on which I can depend there isn't anything on the external world that I can absolutely know 100% is, still go- is going to be the same way tomorrow. At first, it is scary to know that. But what's really scarier is to live with the fear, uh, you know, with, with the sense that it's got to be this way and it might not be that way. That's a much scarier way to live. So when we talk about, you know, the fear that we feel when things change, really or it, 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 there's more fear in trying to make them not change. Marianne, how does someone who's listening to you find that part of themselves inside that doesn't change? When everything around them is changing, how do we come back to center? How do we start? You know, you don't, that which doesn't change is, is the realm of the spirit. You call it God or whatever you want to call it. And this is not just some tool to employ when you're not feeling good. It's not like, well, when this happens, how do I find that center? That of itself is a, it's a shallow question. The deeper question is, how do I live in the place of the changeless for the sake of living in that place? Not just as a way to avoid pain, but as a way to embrace the only joy there really is. We think... I'll be in joy if I get the apartment. I'll be in joy if I get that job. I'll be in joy if I get that relationship. But then, of course, if you think that the relationship, you need the relationship to be enjoyed, and as I said before, you live in constant fear that it'll go away. You think you need this job to be enjoyed, you're in constant fear it'll go away. You think you need, and, you know, whatever it is, the money or whatever it is. You come to understand that the only real joy is living on the rock of love given and received, which does not change. Now, how, how does one do that? First of all, we live in a world that so mitigates against it. We have to recognize that. And that's what spiritual practice is about. That's what we, the word religion means. The Latin root of the word religion is to bind back. And there is only one way to give it. Uh, there's only one way to achieve it, and that's through love given and received. That's what prayer is for. That's what meditation is for. That's what forgiveness is for. That's what faith is about. That's what compassion is for. But this is much deeper than just, well, how do I find that place when I'm living through those emotions? It's a deeper, it's a deeper quest. It's a deeper, a deeper journey than just how do I get out of my pain. The journey is not a negative, how do I get out of my pain? The journey is a positive. How do I find the meaning of my life and live in a way that is true and meaningful? And you come to understand that ultimately that's the only real joy and happiness anyway and that does not change that you can live in a big house or a small house you can be in the money or not be in the money you can have the relationship or not have the relationship in a physical form 
you know, the, in the New Testament, there's a story where Jesus says you can build your house on sand or you can build your house on rock. And if you build your house on sand, then the winds come and the rains come and your house is blown away. If you build your house on, the ro- on a rock, then the winds can come and the rains can come and your house is not blown away. And that's what change is about. If, you, if your house is built on sand and the winds come and the rains come, your house is blown away. What that means is if your sense of emotional security and well-being is based on those things that are bound to change because everything in the, in the physical world does, then the wind's going to come, the rain's going to come, meaning you're, you're going to get fired, that you're going to get divorced, you're going to go bankrupt, whatever it is, and you're going to be completely blown away. But if you build your house on rock, those changes will still come. But they're just the stuff of life. They're just the stuff of life. It doesn't affect you the way it might have before. Marianne, why do you think so few of us initiate changes that we've always dreamed of making in our lives? What, what is it that we're forgetting? The moment we're born onto this planet, it is as though we are plunged into a sea of forgetfulness. We forget, almost beginning from the moment we are born, it seems, because we are taught such false thinking living on this planet, that there resides in us the creative force that moves the universe call it God or any other it is within each and every one of us and through that we are beings of infinite unlimited potential in A Course in Miracles it says the people who have achieved the most on this planet have achieved a fraction of what all of us are capable of I mean just think about that Beethoven, Shakespeare. It's just startling to think about it. Einstein. They actualized potential that all of us have. And the Course in Miracles says even they just scratched the surface. But we are afraid. We will be laughed at. We are afraid that we're inadequate. We are afraid because in identifying ourselves only as material beings, we look at the world and we go, who am I? I'm just one little speck of dust. Well, if that's all you think you are, is a material, physical being, then that's true. Of yourself, you're not any big deal. You're just a little pile of dust. But when we realize that we're not just material beings, we're spiritual beings, and that we are inheritors of infinite love and infinite glory and infinite radiance then we stand in a different place inside ourselves we stand in a different ground a different ground within ourselves emotionally and psychologically and we're not taking personal credit for this power because it's a power in us but not of us but through it there's nothing we cannot do you know there's a paragraph in my book a return to love that for some reason that I don't know if I'll ever know. Some, it, it, the word got out years ago that this paragraph was from, or the word was put out several years ago, this big urban myth that uh, this paragraph was from Nelson Mandela's inaugural address, which it wasn't. But beyond all the hoopla about the misattribution, what has fascinated me is why that one paragraph apparently meant so much to people. It begins, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Have you heard that? 
beautiful, absolutely. I yeah, have thank it you. at home and in my office. Yeah, thank you. I mean, so many. But when you look at that, that really, it, it, once I got over the like, what, what, why, you know, it's just a paragraph of, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's so interesting to me that that paragraph, look what it's saying. What, what our deepest fear is not that we are, you know, where it says it's not our darkness, it's our light that most frightens us. So in a way, the part of us that is afraid of change is the part of us that is afraid of the light, not the darkness. We're afraid of the light. Now, I was talking to my radio program yesterday about this whole concept of comfort zones. You know, people are afraid to change because this is my quote-unquote comfort zone. But really, look how uncomfortable, actually uncomfortable, our comfort zones are many times. It's a perverse kind of comfort. Playing small is my comfort zone. Being neurotic and needy is my comfort zone. <laughs> Mm, it's an uncomfortable place to be, but it's a habit. It's an emotional habit. It's a mental habit. And once again, if, if this is what your physical senses perceive as your life, it's what you are attached to because that's how the ego mind operates. And we're afraid. There's a way in which we fear, we fear that if, you know, if, 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 if this goes away, if this, all this physical stuff goes away, even if it's not the physical stuff that I ultimately want, there's a feeling of death associated with it. And it, it is. It's an ego death. And so it's, it, it's a terror to relax and uh, surrender into the light of your total being. It's, it's like jumping into a swimming pool. It's like <laughs> it's a realization that nothing will be as it was. And it's also a realization that you are called upon and challenged to live far more responsibly when you live a big life. Baron, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this new beautiful book about the midlife years. What is it that you want both men and women to really look at differently when they do face this time in their life? Well, the emergence into midlife is certainly an example of a frightening change. We um, don't even realize how much we depend upon the facets of our youth until they begin to fade away, particularly scary in a world uh, which defines life by the state of the human body. So when the human body, talk about change, the human body begins to decline, our ego mind says, my life is in decline. And once again, it all goes back to our need to transition from a sense of self as merely material to a sense of self as something way beyond the mere material. And so this book is about reframing the experience, knowing that a time of Physical decline can be a time of spiritual incline, but only if we rethink the experience. You know, all seasons, it's like the seasons change. But no season is really more beautiful than any other. A man once said to me, once asked me in one of my classes, he said, what does it feel like to be in the autumn of your life? <laughs> and when I got over the laugh, I, I said to him, well... I don't have as many leaves on my tree as I used to, but the ones I have are a lot more colorful. <laughs> and that really is what the issue of age is. There is inherently as much glory in every season as in any other, but it's a different shade of glory. And that, and the, the journey is to find, and you know, the, the quest is to find it. Marion, I've seen and heard a lot of people much, much younger nowadays who are describing what they're going through as some form of crisis. Mm -hmm. Midlife, quarter life, second life. Mm -hmm. Why are these shifts happening much younger? Is it, a, 
is it a positive thing in some ways that we are waking up? I think we're all experiencing this fact that something huge and fundamental is shifting on the planet. There is a sense, both frightening and exhilarating, that an era of human history is coming to a close. Everyone I know these days has a sense on some level that a certain chapter is done and that whatever worked, whatever was fulfilling, whatever was a winning mode in the last chapter will not be in this next one. My aunt called me the other day and she's in Aspen, Colorado for the summer. And she said, I've been coming here for however many years over the summer. The parties that used to entertain me don't entertain me now. Playing golf, the you know, playing golf every day that used to make me happy doesn't make me happy anymore. All of the things that she's gone there for years to do every summer, because that was where she had her fun, it, it, it's over. It's, it's like um, a shell that somehow where I was before doesn't work. And so, and I've experienced it too. It's time for the new. And if you try to stay, you know, in, in the Bible it talks about how you can't put new wine in old bottles. It's time for a new bottle. And whether it's the behavioral, you know, patterns of the governments and the peoples of the world and the way we live on the planet or the way we live our individual lives, what worked before will not work now. And, you know, the idea of the holographic universe is the idea that the whole is contained within every individual. So I think we're going through as individuals what we are going through on the planet, which is an invitation and a challenge to emerge into a new way of being. But as much as, you know, in The Course in Miracles it says, it is not up to you whether you learn, it is merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. If we wish to embrace this new way of being, it will be joyful. But we are going there. <laughs> whether we em embrace it, and go with the program of the new or not, we're going there. You can either go there happily or you can go there kicking and screaming. You know, if, if it's time for that change in your life, it's going to happen. You only have one of two, you know, choices, <laughs> to go with it or to resist it. And if you resist it, it's going to be a whole lot harder. Is there something that truly helps with acceptance and with letting go of the way life should be? I mean, I find myself struggling with this daily as well. Prayer, meditation, forgiveness, faith, nothing short of a serious spiritual quest will quench those particular, that particular thirst. No, no superficial remedies uh, can deal with the depth of this issue. Lovely. Marianne, the way that we end off all of our interviews here on the show is to ask all our, our guests the exact same three questions. The, this is the first one. What is the belief that you personally go to during times of change? I, to me, every day of my life is a time of change. I, I don't have in my life a separate category called time of change. Because I, I think of every single day, is, is a, is a, I, every day we're pregnant with, a, with new life. There are many different problems in life. There's only one answer. And that is to live from the place of the changeless. So that is the quest of my life, whether it's a time of stasis or time of you know time of material stability or a time of material instability my quest is the same and that is through my own spiritual journey through prayer through meditation through constant effort to be the person i'm capable of being to live in a realm that is beyond the changeable beautiful fill in the sentence the best thing about change is that it's life 
that which is not change is not alive. Anything alive constantly changes. So all change really is the, it's the hand of God. It's, the hand, it's God's handwriting. What is the best change that you've ever made? Having my daughter, having a child. Beautiful. Marianne, thank you for... Yeah, I want to tell you a story. I want to say one thing to you, Ariane, um, that I was going to say, and we sort of never got to it, but it might be a good story for you, okay? Beautiful. Let me add this. I have a friend. We were talking about some of these issues one day, and she told me about a seminar that she attended. And it was a seminar about investing, financial investing, stocks. And she said that the head of the seminar said to the class, how many of you have ever invested in a stock that you thought was going to be fabulous, turned out to be a dud, and you lost your shirt? And a bunch of people raised their hand. He said, okay, now you close your eyes. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to write a word on the blackboard. And when I tell you to open your eyes, I want you to read the word, and I want you to shout it out. And they closed their eyes. He wrote the word, and the whole room opened their eyes and went, next. And I thought that was such a great story. And my friend was saying it because we were talking about things. She says, you know, it's not just about stocks, is it? I thought that was such a great story about knowing, you know what? And, and I know in my own life, Ariane, and what I see in people is... We spend too much time in grief over what was. You know, oh, I coulda, I woulda, I shoulda, I had it, now that's over. Not realizing that the changes of nature are always for the best. Planets revolve around the sun, the seasons change, the embryo turns into a baby. Nature knows what it's doing. And by your ho- you're trying to hold on to what is no longer, you're actually keeping at bay the next great thing. I always say about relationships, if the train doesn't stop at your station, it's not your train. We're trying to hold on to something. We think it's the source of our good. If the train doesn't stop at your station, not only is it not your train, but also the train that is your train can't get into the station because you're still holding on and grasping at that train that's not even yours anymore. So it's all a part, in a way, of saying that God can do a much better job of being God than you can. That you're trying to control your universe so that things don't change or that changes happen the way you want them to. Because I think people trying to force change is the flip side of the neurosis of being afraid of change. It's, it's, it, you know, the fear can take either form. Sometimes it's a fear of change. Sometimes it's a fear of, you know, expressed by, I've got to make this change. But either way, you're trying to control what you can't control. And when you stop trying to control it, then you get to recognize that the author of all good will make all the perfect changes for you because at the deepest level, it's a self-organizing universe, and the universe knows what it's doing. Marianne, to use your metaphor of the train station, how would you help someone who's been waiting for a train to come in? And it might be waiting for them to get pregnant, waiting for them to find their beloved, waiting for money to show up in their life. In Native American Indians talk about the fact that when there is a poison in the forest, there is always, within a certain number of feet, the antidote to that poison is actually there. Most people, the issue 
is not that they don't have this or they don't have that. For most people, the deeper problem is that their eyes are not open to see how much they do have. So many times in our lives, what we're looking for is right under our nose. And it might not be the treasure. The treasure might not have come in the form that we're expecting it to. But that's why attachment to form makes it, that's, that's the, but once again, attachment to form makes us blind. So sometimes the next thing that you want hasn't come yet because you're not yet learning the lesson of that which is already there, inherent in that which is already there. So the answer to everything is to try to live more consciously. Marianne, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure. And well, I'm glad we finally got together and finally did this. It's only been a long time in the making. I know, but totally, totally worth the wait. It happened. Thank you, honey. Perfect time. Thank you, and good luck to you. For more information on Marianne and her wonderful work and books, please visit her website at www.marianne.com. And for other expert interviews and beautiful insight and wisdom, visit us on the web at first30days.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from First30Days.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes in the Society and Culture section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days Incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved.